Welcome to Medified, a podcast about web dev and tech news that piqued my interest. I'm your host, Richard, and I'm looking forward to this episode. It seems that the best way not to be swallowed by competition is to become your own competitor. Roughly a month ago, a discussion began regarding the complete rewrite of ES Lint. New repository, a fresh start. You might wonder, what is the reason for this? And the answer is pretty simple. Even though ESLint was adopting incremental updates that served them well, some features are easier to implement than others. And one thing is sure, JavaScript today is very different from the JavaScript in 2013 when ESLint was created. So let's talk about what we know so far. The plan is to create a completely new code base. This way, current ESLint can be maintained as long as needed. Node.js, Deno, browser, whatever you fancy, the idea is to have the very core of the ESLint runtime agnostic with platform-specific plugins. Sounds promising, right? And they go even further with this because the next cool idea is to make ESLint language agnostic because there is no real need for ESLint core to be written in JavaScript. Yes, I know, JavaScript is the best, but having the core in Rust won't cause any complaints, right? This way, ESLint could get a performance boost, which is always an excellent thing. ESLint could also be asynchronous all the way down. And yeah, there has been a struggle to implement asynchronous parsers in ESLint for quite some time, but with a complete rewrite, the idea can be implemented from the very beginning. And that is just a glimpse. New public API, pluggable source code formatting, abstract syntax tree mutations for auto-fixing, and many, many more features are being discussed. An interesting part is a decision to not use TypeScript, but to use plain JavaScript with JS docs with ECMAScript modules instead. But in the end, well, we should wait and see what the final architecture will look like. Needless to say, this is just the very beginning of the conversation. The real RFC will happen sometime in the future. Right now is a good time to get the list of all of your wishes and join the conversation. This way, you could be part of the group that shapes the potential new beginning of the tool we all love and use. So don't hesitate and check out the conversation on GitHub, as it has a lot to offer. As usual, the link will be in the description of the episode. A new version of Deno 1.28 is out now, and it has a lot of exciting updates mainly focused on working with NPM. As promised, the team has kept busy with improving the support for NPM packages, and thanks to that, we can now use over 1.3 million NPM modules. This number probably doesn't tell us a lot, because a quick Google search tells you that there are over 1.3 million of them on NPM. So maybe it would be more interesting to take a look at why Deno has to take extra steps in order to make the packages work. Using NPM packages in Deno is pretty straightforward, because you don't need to NPM install, there is no package JSON, and there is no node modules directory by default. All you need to do is import a package you need in your file, and Deno will download it when you run the file. All you need to do is import a package you need in your file, and Deno will download it for you when you run it. 
Don't worry, it will also store it in a global cache so that you don't need to do it all over again. And now that you have refreshed how Deno operates, you can maybe see the edge cases that Deno has to handle. There are still some incompatible packages that maybe have a post-install script or they assume the existence of a package.json file. Deno's approach to security is also very helpful when it comes to installing malware that other people wrote, aka using npm to download open source. At this point, and after some infamous incidents, we all know that npm can be quite prone to supply chain attacks. But Deno is secure by default, and it can help mitigate this impact in some cases. The way this works is that a program run with Deno has no access to the file system, to network, and even to the environment. So let's say you install a package that turns out to be malicious and tries to access a file system. Deno doesn't run the file in this case and notifies you about what's happening so you can react accordingly. You can override this by running it with a specific CLI flag to let Deno know it's okay or you can allow it once in this run. And if apps on my iPhone can do it, why shouldn't your runtime? Apart from npm interoperability updates, we also get improvement in the usage of the log file, which, well, makes it actually usable this time around. There are also some changes to Deno APIs, mostly having to do with making a couple of them stable, and introducing a new unstable unified deno.command API. The V8 has also been upgraded to a new 10.9 version, and we get a big refactor to Deno Manual, which is a fancy name for their documentation. The launch week of this new version also promised the release of tutorials, how-to guides, and other helpful resources on Deno, and boy, we got what was promised. We now have nice posts on how to integrate various database adapters or how to build apps in Deno with popular front-end libraries and much more. Last but not least, just a quick little reminder, the state of JavaScript survey for 2022 by Devo Graphics is now open for submissions, so make sure you fill it out if you want to make your voice heard. And I'm sure that if Minified was in the section for the podcasts you listen to, you would definitely give us a vote. Hey, maybe next year. Thanks for tuning in to Minified. If you like what I do, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with your friends and colleagues. Catch you later.